This is iFanboy Media Explode, episode 20. The funniest frog with the loudest croak on the highest log. I'm gonna vote for the Bud Light frog, the high life frog, the high life frog. I'm gonna pay for the right to drink, for the right to smoke, and the right to sink. I'm gonna pay for my TV dream, for my movie scene. Hello, welcome to my fanboy Media Explode episode 20. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and I'm here with Josh Flanagan. What's up? And Ron Richards. Hey, my friends. It sounds like I sincerely said what's up, but I didn't, but it sounded like it, and I just want that clear that that's not a thing I would say, except I did. <laughs> you don't care about what's up with us? I just, no, I just, like, it's not a thing I would say. That's not like a Josh greeting. I what's should. up? That sounds like what a person who's not me would say. This is not Josh the DJ? Yeah, exactly. Hey, this is our last meanest boat of the year. This is the show unlocked by the patrons at patreon.com slash ifanboy. We do it monthly. We talk about media outside of comic books that we enjoy, but we will be replacing that as we do in December with our all-media year and roundup. So this is our final media explode episode of the year, and there'll be spoilers perhaps, maybe, for things we talk about going forward. But this is our monthly sort of check-in, just for, you know, what are we liking? What are we enjoying? What are we into? And it's the last one of the year, so we got to make it good. Well, that's a pressure we don't need. Well, I just I, I laid it down for you. No, but it's the last one of the year, so we, 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 we're going to dedicate some time to hear from you, the listeners, which we're excited <laughs> that's about. That's true. So we get a lot of things well, to talk view, about. Viewers. Viewers, listeners? I can't. Let's, They're both. I like to think of them as both. Let's table They're not viewers. Yeah. Well, they might be. I don't know how people watch things now in VR. <laughs> Wait, are they looking at me? Wait a minute. The red light on my camera is on. <laughs> Yeah, I'm actually going to close that. So here we go. Uh, we're going to start with our traditional opening segment, what we've been enjoying since the last episode. And I'm going to stretch this definition a little bit as I start this segment off and talk about two of the CWDC shows that I've been watching. Wow. Uh, one that ended and one it's experiencing a renaissance. Supergirl ended its run this past week with a two-hour, well, it was two episodes back-to-back, but a two-hour showing. And... I used to really like Supergirl. The first few seasons were Yeah, terrific. you were big on it. You were big on it. It just got awful at some point. Yeah. It, after the Trump's election, it got really political and reactionary, and which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but all the subtlety of a sledgehammer. Just not fun to watch. The final season was pretty bad. Really ill-considered final plot of we're going to fight this sixth dimension imp that's not Mr. Mixie's Piddlelick. The only saving grace was that and Ron, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but John Cryer's Lex Luthor is terrific. I've heard it's very good. You must have seen him in the Crisis. I've seen years. a little bit. I haven't seen. I don't feel like I haven't seen enough, really. But he's yeah. great, and he came on about halfway through the final season, and and he really helped salvage the watchability factor of it. Man. And I realize this is strange to talk about for what have you been enjoying, but I have been watching this, and I do want to, you know, for a while it was one of my top CW DC shows. Now there's 800 of them, so it's hard to judge which one is the best. But in a time of, I think. Instability in the CWDC line right now. Supergirl ended, and you know, it deserves its credit. It was a good show for a while, but it just really fell off the map. And it fell into the trap of all these shows that Greg Berlanti produces, in which by the end, every character is a superhero. Yep. At certain points, we're like, this show is called Supergirl, right? Because we haven't seen her for 15 minutes. 
you're tapping into my complaint. So I'm I'm woefully behind. I'm still on last season of The Flash and Legends of yeah. Tomorrow. On The Flash, like he's barely on it, and there's a bunch of people who have no idea who they are and why I care about them. Exactly. Exactly. The show has become, at least last season, the show has become such a shadow of its former self. It's kind of like they really should have ended this before it got to this point. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's unfortunate. On the other side of the coin is, I guess, technically called DC's Legends of Tomorrow, but I just call it Legends. Don't spoil for me. I won't spoil it, but I'll say this. The season before this one was awful. And I think that's the one you're watching right now. The Aliens one. I'm trying to get through it, and it's not fun. The Aliens and the Clones. It's legitimately bad, I thought. And I actually considered, so I want to keep watching this show? Because it was the, my number two show forever behind The Flash. Yep. Sounds like a real number two show, you know what I'm saying? This current season is terrific. Yeah. Well, they've righted the ship. Whatever problems they had storytelling, they fixed it. This season's been delightful. And, you know, this season started about three, felt like weeks after the last season ended. COVID has fucked up TV schedules so bad. It really bothers you. (laughs) This season literally started about a month after the last one ended. It's been really entertaining. It's been funny. It's been heartfelt. In the midst of it, they had the 100th episode, so they brought back a lot of characters who were on the show before. It's been a delight to watch every week, and DC's Legends Tomorrow recaptured its goofy glory. The one thing about Legends that the other shows didn't have was it allowed itself to be silly, like very overtly silly, where the other shows have humor for sure, but they never deviate from being serious. This is like, we're goofy, we're self-referential, we reference the fact that we're on a TV show sometimes. We were very consciously kind of goofy, and it really works this season. And I won't spoil it for Ron and tell you the premise, but... It's been a delight and to the point where I'm excited every time a new episode's out. Oh, man, I can't wait then. In the last month, you had an ending and you had a re- rebirth for DC's CW shows. And I assume it's COVID-related. We're, gonna, we're easing into, you don't watch things on TV, so you may or may not know this, but they're doing a Flash five-episode event coming up soon. Uh, Armageddon. Armageddon, Armageddon right. but like also Riverdale's doing a five episode event. So I don't know if they don't, like, could squeeze in five episodes. <laughs> so they're just doing like a five episode event for all the CW shows. But oh, that's what's coming up for some of these shows. I'm still watching most of them. It's just that, you know, some of them are clearly on their last legs. That's a bummer. Yeah. Ron, help me out here. I don't, I don't know if I can something. help you out, but I'll, I'll do my best. Yeah. So just a couple of things to hit on quickly. I'm not going to go too deep in them, but... Mike and Tom Eat Snacks podcast has been on fire. For those of you who listen to that, long time my fanboy listeners know we love it. Michael Ian Black and Tom Cavanaugh, formerly of The Flash, or, or back on The Flash. I don't even know. He's back, I think, yeah. The most recent episodes of that podcast have been like laugh out loud in public, hysterical while listening to it. Very, very good. I don't know. Are you guys listening to it at all? No, it's back or no? No. Here's my problem. Uh, this is one of those, but we listen to that together shows. Oh, no. And so it's like, okay, but you we can't do that with podcasts. the first episode. So oh. what are we doing here? And so I've heard the first episode run and the one that you and I listened to on the way to our friend's wedding. We oh, drove to man. Palm Springs. And that's all I've heard from this season. There's a string of three episodes where they do Tostitos Hint of Lime and then Funyuns. They then do an emergency episode to revisit Tostitos after <laughs> some legal news came out. And they're just hysterical. The ones I heard have been great. You can't listen to a podcast with your partner. It was like we did it while we were washing dishes. and Oh, jeez. That doesn't work. A podcast is like the definition of an intimate sort of solo experience, and then you talk about it later. Yeah. Agreed. The TV stuff's hard enough. So that's it on podcasts. I'm going to talk about it in the all-media end-of-the-year show, but I watched the Sparks Brothers documentary. It's currently on Netflix. Josh, you got to watch this documentary before the all-media. Netflix? 
Yeah, it's on Netflix. Yeah. Can you give people the premise real quick before we? T- yeah, so it's a documentary directed by Edgar Wright. Oh, I heard about this. Yeah, and it's about the band Sparks, which has been around since the late 60s and it's two brothers they've made over 21 albums and they're just like talk about like do not care what critics say the way the zeitgeist is moving like unrelenting artists that continue their own vision and put out music that they want to put out and is really kind of inspiring and really kind of awesome and just like a lot of the twists and turns I don't want to give it all away because I want to talk about the media a lot of the twists and turns are like really entertaining even if you don't know their music there's a lot of talk about how a lot of you know bands like this band and it's like an inside you know it's like you know how like there's the bar that or the restaurant that chefs go to at the end mm-hmm. of the night like it's that kind of thing big star this documentary is accessible for anybody if you're curious like if you want to see an interesting story about some artists watch the sparks brothers and then lastly i i don't think of a time that has engaged all three of us more so than succession on on mm-hmm. hbo uh, now that that's back and adrian brody's lovely layers we're in the middle of the season right now, but it's been fantastic. Yes. We finished one of them, and, and Lindsay's like, do you know what's going on? I was like, I understand it a little better than Cousin Greg. Like, I mean, <laughs> there's times where, and I don't think that that's a flaw. I think that that's where we're supposed to be at. Do you mean the machinations you don't understand, yes. or the drama? No, the drama I understand perfectly well, but, like, all, like the thing is, it's all bullshit anyway. Right. right. You know what I mean? Like, that's part of the postmodern artifice of the whole thing is that, like, everything Kendall says and does is bullshit. So it doesn't really matter what it is he's doing. Right. You know what I mean? So I feel like that's part of it. And that's yep. just part of the thing. And it's really more about the looks and the things they say to each other and what they're doing to each other. Right. Sure. I mean, the, the business side of it is just incredibly wealthy people moving pieces around on a chessboard. Right. And yep. it's, 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 it more or less doesn't matter. The might be bullshit. It might be real. I don't know. It doesn't. But that's not sort of not the point. It's the other thing. But yeah, it's one of the only shows I can think of that like there's nobody I like on the show at all, and I can still right. enjoy it. And it's like, funny because there's nobody I like, and yet I like them all. Or like, and I can't stop looking at watching. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I want. I just want to see. Like, I hope the end is just a bunch of people get run over by cars. <laughs> I know we disagree. I think Greg is a good person. See, I think he's useless. Oh, that's fine. I think he has no redeeming. He's not a bad uh, person. Characteristics. And he's just a blank slate that happens to be standing there. I think he is. I think he is. What's I think good about him? What's he's what's a nice he person? Good? He genuinely does seem to care about other people. He's in over his head completely. Sure. But I think that Tom. I think they're hinting that Tom is going to turn. That this is <sighs> all weighing on him. See, Tom's yeah. such a weird one because in every scene except the ones where he's with Shiv, he's a piece of shit. Yep. He's like the classic bullied. Is he's trying to, bully to be? Character. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense, and that's why he treats Greg that way or whatever. But when he's with Shiv, he, like he's a, he seems to be genuine. He genuinely cares about her. But then everywhere else, he doesn't act like he's several people at once, which doesn't not make sense. That's intriguing, I guess. It's not. I'm not complaining. I'm saying that like it's this really multifaceted thing. So he's all up and down the board. Like he's got a good guy in him, but he's got a piece of shit guy in him too, and he doesn't know where he stands. That's a great show. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Neither of you have watched Peep Show, but if it's not my favorite British sitcom ever, it is up there. And it's the same showrunner, basically. And it, it's a very different show, but some of the stuff, I'm like, oh, I can totally see that this is the same person. Yeah. Josh, what have you been enjoying since we last spoke? Oh, this was tough for me because I haven't been watching a lot. And the few things that I'm watching, I put them on our list for all media shows. So I was thinking about it. And then I'm going to go left here because I watched this documentary on HBO called Deer Rider. And it is about Jake Burton, who 
basically who founded the Burton Snowboard Company. You know, it's like uh, I was trying to like the the Bill Gates of snowboarding to a certain extent. And I didn't really know anything about him, but Burton is sort of ubiquitous. I was a snowboarder for a while. I'm a skier now. He's sort of everywhere, and I didn't really know anything about him. And uh, he was up in Vermont, which is not far from where I live. And he was just like this hell of an interesting guy who is just one of those people who lived all of their lives completely in every way they could. You know, and one of those things you're like, oh, and I'm sure it's a bit of a, you know, romantic view of a person who, you know, like was like, I love sliding on a board on snow and I'm going to make it my life and make the world love it, which is basically what happened. And then, you know, there's a sad thing that happens at the end. But I think one of the things that really gets you is that there's they just for whatever reason, it's one of those people, they shot footage of every goddamn thing in his entire life. Mm-hmm. And you don't know how they get that because, you know, the earlier part, he's born in the 50s. So, you know, you've got photos and, and 16 or 8 millimeter film and just like everything that he ever did was documented to some extent which then reminded me of there was a you know warren miller is by any chance probably not maybe connor does but warren miller was like the ski film guy like he invented the ski film and shot all of them if you were like in the 80s you know he would do the extreme skier films you do like mm-hmm. one a year and they would play in theaters and like they were shot on film and they were, they were like amazing and he was another one of those guys there's a documentary on him called ski bum the warren miller story which you can get on prime video but for a little while it was on i don't know the history channel or something and i watched it as a two-hour doc very similar though and every single thing of this guy this guy's born in the 30s and everything was documented but it's all this amazing it's like the history of skiing and you know from you know 50, 60 years ago, and it's like a piece of wood with a leather strap on it to sort of going to, to where it goes in. I found them both absolutely fascinating. And I kind of threw the Burton one on. I was, I was like paying bills or something. I was like, I just want to have something on the TV. And I kept like just totally focusing in and not paying attention because the footage is amazing. And like in our lifetimes, and I know, again, this isn't a thing for you guys, but snowboarding, like I remember when it came along. I remember watching it change. Like basically that's our lifetimes is when that's happened. Um, right. Yep. Subject. For sure. That's a really big deal. It was not a thing when we were kids. No. No. And I like I remember the bit like in high school it came out and I was a skater so you know I was like well I want to try that you know and and so the first ones I did were you know the single the point at the one side and the like it looked like an arrow basically and I remember the point where like you weren't ar- allowed to ride on parts of the mountains and people didn't like you and then I remember moving to California in the very early two thousands and I was like oh there's a lot more snowboarders here you know more than skiers and and now it's sort of gone the other way and. uh Anyway, I'm waiting for it to snow pretty soon because I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, I'll go with that. Also, this is a this is a precursor, but I think the show that Lindsay and I have most been into has been Dope Sick. So good. So good. I was reluctant. I was like, this is going to be such a bummer, and I don't want to be bummed out. But man, right out of the gate, that first episode, I was like, wow, that's a lot more than I thought it was going to be. Yep. And we can get into it more, but you should watch it before the all media show comes along. But like it comes out once a week and we get excited to watch it together. And it is, is such a great show. Such a great cast. I mean, yeah, oh, uh, Stuhlbarg, Sarsgaard, Keaton, just uh, uh, so, so, so good. Rosario Dawson, just like really solid cast. By the way, Michael Keaton is 70 years old. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? There's a bit where there's one scene. He does this a lot. He can't not Michael Keaton, but it's okay because it's fucking fascinating to watch him Michael Keaton. And there's a bit where he's trying to he's figure out best. what to say, and he, he does that halting thing where he's, and all I saw for one sec, I think he was like in a rehab or something like that. He started to say something, and and all I saw was Batman. I was like, you know when a regular guy gets up, and it was exactly, and I just I just started laughing, and Lindsay's like, what? And I was like, it's just a bat. It's the it was the exact same thing, forty years later, and it killed me. I thought it was so funny. It's funny, yeah. So that's it. 
So that's what we've been enjoying. Let's move on. Long-time listeners will recall, last holiday we talked about our f- top five Christmas movies. So we thought we'd find a new holiday topic this year. And the question, what were and are your holiday media traditions? So when you were a kid, were there films you watched around Thanksgiving and Christmas time? Were there things you did, records you listened to? Is it different now? Do you both have kids? Do you show them the same films you watched as a kid around this time of year? What were some of the traditions you did and do now? It's a good question. I assume Ron did. Yeah, no, I mean, we we definitely, I mean, like, a holiday... Like, from the time Thanksgiving through the end of the yeah. year. Like that I was going to say, time. the November, December, for me, at least from a childhood standpoint, it can be defined by the weird CBS special drum beat bongo thing that used to happen in the 80s with the rainbow. Like, living yes. for that sound effect, because that meant that... Rudolph was on or Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown or Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, like all of those classic, you know, kind of holiday specials, which now has become me and my wife's tradition, which is pretty much, you know, starting the day after Thanksgiving up until Christmas, we try to knock out as many of those, you know, of course, you know, the Rankin and Bass ones, but like she loves, uh, it's not the year without Santa Claus, which is the one with Heat Miser. Uh, is that year without Santa Claus? No. Heat Miser is... Which one is Heatmiser in? I'm forgetting. Um, he was it was Elliot Smith's first band, and uh, he, he shared vocals. <laughs> the Year Without Santa Claus. That's what it is. Yeah, The Year Without Santa Claus. Then there's another Rankin Bass one that shows how Santa Claus becomes Santa Claus. So like all those we love, you know, and and like they're hard to find now, right? <laughs> right. They, you know, not a lot of them are streaming or like they might be on CBS or ABC or whatever. At some point you got to make sure to record it and all that sort of stuff. But like, you know, those are the kind of key kind of touch points throughout, like at least one a week, we try to watch all of them. Rankin Bass did an animation in the seventies for the, Twas the night before Christmas, which yep. I love with the little Beautiful. mice. You know, oh, yep. incredible. So, I love that one. Yeah. Christmas time is coming. Santa, <laughs> Santa, Santa. You know, definitely like going back to like me and my, sister watching those specials and now continuing with my wife and you know my kids are still too small to get it but they will watch it when they are older because i will make them (laughs) (laughs) good luck with that that hasn't worked very well for me (laughs) yeah i can imagine (laughs) this falls outside i realized the thanksgiving the new year's thing this is sort of a commentary at the time so i I totally forgot and i was halloween and i was sat down and i was looking through my guide my my on-screen guide at direct tv i was looking for the great pumpkin charlie brown it's on apple fuck is it yeah. And I'm like, oh, fuck me, it's on Apple. Yep. That was the first time where I was like, right, shit, it's all changed. But no, but they run it on PBS now. I know, but I couldn't, yeah. it wasn't even available yeah. to like watch yeah. Yeah. at the time. Anyway, when I was a kid, our tradition in New York, we'd go to the parade in the morning, because we live on the Upper West Side, so we'd just walk over to the parade. Then we'd come back, we would have like a you know, big late lunch, early dinner, Thanksgiving meal, and then we'd always go to a movie. So like that's oh, nice. been our thing. You know, when I lived in New York, up until the point basically where I moved to California, was my family would would eat and then go to the Thanksgiving movie. I remember one year we went to casino. Nice. <laughs> it's like this is a lot of holes in that desert. Connor, not. I f- I feel like you're you're a like you know some people Thanksgiving weekend like watch all the Lord of the Rings movies or things like mm-hmm. that. I feel like that's you, right? Well, it all depends on where I am. I could be depending on what Thanksgiving is. I could be in one of many places. Well, no, but but just generally, you know, like I feel like that's something that you've done. You participate. Yeah, I mean, it depends on which family I'm at. There's of the several families I've got now. It depends on how much free time there is. But yeah, you, you take that opportunity to sort of veg out and watch like the Harry Potter movies or watch Lord of the Rings or yeah. or something like that get, to get in the holiday mood. And then now it's become planes, trains, and automobiles has become our Thanksgiving go to. 
go-to movie to watch. That's ours. That, or Lindsay and I will watch that like in, in over that weekend at some point. And the conversation is always the same, which is, I mean, a like we're like this is so brilliant. And if it yes. wasn't for some of the clothes and the specifically the soundtrack, the yes. music, the score, then it would be entirely timeless. Oh yeah, it's a timeless movie. Yeah, but a couple of like you take those out, and it is just good. Not like a lot of eighties movies when you watch them, you're like, oh, it's uncomfortable. It's just good, and it, it's very human. It's but it's still the question. This thing is always like, this is an excellent story, and it's funny, and it's real, and it, it gets you at the end. And yeah, oh that, my that god, the, the end time. gets you every time, even though you know it's oh, coming. It's, it's, and that's the power of John Candy, and why for many reasons why it's a tragedy we lost him so young, but. He was such an underrated actor. Like he yeah. was hilarious and also devastating. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so many projects, but that's become our recent. We bought the Blu-ray and we just bring it around to whatever, whichever I family gathering. The, I still have. have the DVD and it looks like hell when we watch it. I'm like, I'm not upgrading. This is how we do it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why your kids don't want to watch anything. No, we haven't tried to show them that one. And there's so many. I mean, there's so many Christmas traditions. We talked about this before. I mean, I have my stack of blu-rays there's probably like 12 at this point of christmas movies and i can only watch them once thanksgiving's over then i can start watching them but then i gotta then i have to time it am i going to my mom's house this year which ones does she have okay i gotta watch the ones she doesn't have because she'll want to watch the ones she has and like it's all a big thing if we're not going to my mom's house then it's okay we can watch whatever we want and bring a couple up to my in-laws house so it's all like a juggling act of where we're going to be and who we're going to be with but it's always the same you know, 10 or 12 movies, usually culminating in It's a Wonderful Life. Well, yeah, I feel like we've covered that ground a lot on these. Yeah, that was last year's yeah, discussion, yeah, but yeah, It's a Wonderful yeah. Life sort of culminates the Christmas, yeah. you know, the sort of like a Christmas Eve watch. Yeah. And then in New York, my last thing I'll say is on WPIX run, yep. the local channel, on Christmas Day, they always played March of the Wooden Soldiers yep. around noon. And so as kids, we'd always watch that. That's because from 6 a.m. to noon, they played the Yule Log, Yule Log. which, yes. which I, I loved. So, yeah. yeah, you put that on. And they, but <laughs> then around noon, they'd put on March of the Wooden Soldiers, which isn't really a Christmas movie other than Santa's in it, but it's not really yep. a Christmas movie. But it became one because my entire childhood, it was the Christmas Day thing we watched after presents while yep. my mom and dad were cooking breakfast or breakfast at noon, whenever it was. So now I bought the Blu-ray of that. And so that's become my thing as an adult is to introduce that to you know my family now is... You know, we watched this movie on Christmas Day, even if it's oh. this weird 1930s. The very first appearance of Mickey Mouse on screen yep. is in that movie. And uh, we watched that on Christmas Day. Well, I can't wait to hear about Josh's. I don't really have it. I had a really tiny family, and so I don't have traditions and things that, that happen We had like four that. people I in our find... family. That was it. Okay. Well, I'm not like you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't tend to do the same thing every time, you know, like in that way. I know that as we get, like, I don't give a shit about and i don't mean I'm like an asshole but like i don't i know what you're talking about with those cartoons and when you said that little drum you thing before i was like all oh, right i really like that yeah. but i don't feel the need to watch them again i don't have like a thing i really do like i like the peanuts stuff for sure yeah they're great like when i see them they, they have a depth to them that i think really survives but everything else i don't know what i tend to find is that i get the urge to watch things that have something in them when it gets to be around the holidays, if there's something that has a Christmas bit in it, it reminds me that I like that thing, which is like the dumb thing about like, well, is Die Hard a holiday movie or is Gremlins or whatever? It's like, it doesn't matter. But yes, because yes. Christmas is in those, as we get, I don't give a fuck what you call it. <laughs> what I'm saying is we get close to it, it makes me go, 
Christmas. I kind of want to watch Goodfellas. It does, like yep. it's, it, because there's a thing in there. Gremlins is the same thing. Uh, you know, the, those those are the first two that I kind of thought of. But like earlier today, Lindsay said something. We haven't watched Goodfellas in a while. I was like, Christmas is coming. Like I just <laughs> think because there's Christmas music in it, and so instantly, whether it's a Christmas movie or not, which it isn't, but also I don't give a shit. It still ticks that little like box in my head that says you have to do this thing. If anything, like around Christmas. Like the night we're wrapping the kids' presents or something, and that we've waited to the last minute to do, and Lindsay does it mostly because I can't rap for shit. We'll put on "It's a Wonderful Life," or uh, like with the kids, I know they'll watch Elf because they like it and they think it's funny. They're getting better. We started watching The Dark Knight today. Oh shit! <laughs> oh wow. wow! I know. Well then, they think they don't like it, but also I don't care what they watch. <laughs> so I was like, "Let's watch this," and I was like, "He's about to put a pencil in that dude's eye." But other than that, this is cool. <laughs> But they were super, I don't, yeah, like, the great irony is that all I want was for my kids to be like, let's go to movies, and I'll be like, I'll let you watch whatever you want, I don't care, and they don't want to go. <laughs> so, like, I think it's nice that you've come around on It's a Wonderful Life after all these years. Warms my heart. I, it's not that, I hadn't seen it. Yeah. I'd never seen it. Oh, so, so oh you had never seen it? it? No. Hmm. No, I didn't have those. Kind of, I mean, like, you know, how you said you have a small family and that, that's fine. Like my mom was gone half the time because she was a single mother. She was working. So I was kind of on my own a lot or I would be with others. So there wasn't like those kind of traditions. Were so, you not raised by the TV? I was, but I would just watch TV. I, you know, like if it was like that thing's on, I'm like, yeah, but three's company. It was on every year because it was it fell into the public domain for a while because of. No, I get that. I just didn't like that wasn't what I would choose to do necessarily. I just didn't choose to. You were a little mom, kid who really was into Jimmy Stewart? No, I only knew who he was because of Dana Carvey. And then the other thing is this is, and this probably has a lot to do with it. My mom doesn't give a shit about watching stuff. Like she would watch whatever TV shows or whatever, but she's not a movie person. Like she didn't do any of that stuff. And that's it. Those are the only people I had. So I never did those things. But quality always wins out. So eventually, like I was like, all right, I'll watch. It's a Wonderful Life. Now, obviously, because I know a lot about pop culture, I was like, oh, I recognize huge swaths of this movie. And some stuff I didn't even know was from the movie. But when we watched it, I was like, that was fantastic. Like, Lindsay and yeah. I watched it. It wasn't too long ago. It was oh. you know, within the last 10 years, maybe closer to five. And I was, and we were both like, this is fantastic. Yeah, it's <laughs> no. so good. I just, for some reason, randomly re- remembered growing up, holiday tradition, the John Denver and the Muppets LP. Mm. Mm. The, mm. the the Muppets Christmas record, which which I have uh, a Muppets you know, Christmas record that we listen to all the time. Was with John Den- was the one, one with John Denver? Or? Maybe it's it's it, I have a Christmas records box that's not been taken out yet. So nice. that was one as a kid we always listened to on our record player, and then mm. you know, as an adult you get your record player again. You know now the vinyl's back, and so I was like I have to find this this yep. Muppets record, so I, I ended up buying it. The 12 Days of Christmas is just so, like, I, I uh, it's so good. The Muppets are so good. Oh, man. Lindsay and I also always watch National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Yeah. Always. Like, that is the, we do, we watch that every year at yeah. some point. Of course. Josh, so you're sort of slowly introducing the idea to your kids. This movie's, you know, like Elf or whatever. <sighs> I don't know. It's different. The YouTube generation is different. They all have their own specific thing they want to do at least with my kids, and it seems like a lot of the people around them, but we're all a bunch of loners in a little bit of a way. I'm not a good holiday person. Tell them Bill Murray is a YouTuber. <laughs> it really is funny. Like, there's like a thousand things that I just thought were the greatest, and I'm like, look at this, and they just don't care, and I was like, oh, this is every parent ever. I mean, mm-hmm. but I know there's lots of parents out there, and they should, you know, they show their kid yeah. baseball, and their kid loves baseball, and they do it, but it just never worked that way for me. And I'm always like, well, yeah, that's because that's how you are. And I was like, fair enough. <laughs> like, that's it's my own it's my own thing. I just yeah. 
we just don't connect that way, I guess. All right. So let's move on to, and I accidentally just bolded my script. I don't know what, how to undo that. It doesn't matter if it's bold. You can still it's just, read it. The letters are now really close together. Uh, we <laughs> thought we would end the year by answering some of your questions, the listeners, the viewers. We got a bunch of questions, guys, after the National Disaster Show we did, which was a big hit. Yep. A lot of emails came in from that. I got one here from Joel L. from ProSur, Washington. After listening to your conversation about the National Disaster Movie Industry, I have a very important question. If National Disaster Movies are mostly considered disasters caused by natural circumstances, would the great horror movie Night of the Living Dead be considered a National Disaster Movie since the plague of zombies was caused by a meteorite or comet coming too close to Earth? If yes, would this then be the greatest natural disaster movie of all time? I vote no. No, because it's a supernatural element. Right. Exactly. Zombies don't exist. I mean, it depends on how you look at it, but to me, a natural disaster thing, it's not even the natural part as much, although I I think putting in a sci-fi fantasy or monster magic element kind of is not what I want. That's a different thing. But also, it kind of has to be that there's not a bad guy. It's nature is the bad guy, or luck and nature. Isn't that what he's saying? Is that nature being the comet caused people to turn into zombies? No, but they're making up science in the middle that isn't real. Hmm. Or not. Well, even if we're going down that road, a lot of no, 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 no. But I, you know what I mean? Like, there's there's stretchy movie science, and then uh-huh. there's like there's no zombies. That's not a thing. So right. that's adding a different element to it. Again, it's fine. It's not my bag. I wouldn't count that. The other day, I, I randomly stumbled on Day After Tomorrow again, about halfway through, and I sat down and watched about an hour of it. Oh, wow. After we did that show, we all watched The Day After Tomorrow, and then we all watched 2012, and then Oliver asked Lindsay if he could watch The Day After Tomorrow with her again. Wow. It's a great movie. Yeah. It is a great movie. It's legitimately. It is, yeah. yeah. It is. It's, yeah. it's better than Independence Day. Yes, yeah, so that was also on. It's also good. It's just a different. Yes. I don't think alien invasion is a natural disaster. Because it's not natural. It's it's extraterrestrial. I agree. And also, like, meteor hitting the Earth to cause something. Like, it's got to be steeped in reality, from my perspective. The meteor hitting Earth. That's one. Good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's meteor. You're fine. Yeah. But then, yeah. like, it turns people into flesh-eating dead. No, that's not. Yeah. Also, that's, that's not going to happen. Related to JB's email, I've been thinking about this question for approximately 30 minutes while you were discussing disaster movies in the recent podcast. Would you consider Ghostbusters a disaster movie? It seems to have a lot of the characteristics of one. No, again. Why are we having such a hard time with this? <laughs> <laughs> it's ghost in the... No. Nope. It's, it's, it's caused by Gozer. Yep. He Gozer is, is the, the antagonist. Yeah. Come on. He's not a force of nature. Vigo the Carbathian isn't either. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to a question from David B. from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Ron, this is something up our alleys. All righty. And I'm going to preface this myself by saying, understanding that we've closed the books on this, and we'll have to explain to the listeners what that means. David's question, is David Lynch a GDAT? No. If so, how do you think he feels about that? I've been thinking about this for so long that my mind is stuck in a dreamlike time loop that I can neither escape nor fathom. Please help. Here's the thing, and and I know Josh chimed in before you were done reading the question, but I'm gonna yeah. agree. I'm gonna agree with Josh in that, yeah. and I, I don't believe David Lynch is a G dad. I believe he is a at. He's an American treasure, but part of it is is that you stop someone on the street and say, "Who is David Lynch?" He's not universally known, unfortunately. So let's explain to the listeners who don't know the G dad is the goddamn American treasure. It's a term we coined to describe Tom Hanks originally. 
and then through our patrons and our patron hangouts. So if you want to be involved in these conversations, you'll be a patron. We've grown the list. There's probably about 40 GDATs we decided on. And uh, they have to be American. They have to be actors or actresses. And David Lynch is an actor. And they have to be delightful in some way. We've had long discussions about this in our patron hangouts. It's not a scientific method. No, it's not at all scientific. (laughs) It has to be a unanimous decision between the three of us, which is very difficult. And we eventually closed the books. We are not initiating any more GDATs. But people still ask. I mean, it really resonated. Everyone loves the concept. Everybody has an opinion. They want to put forth their own, which is great. Make your own GDAT. Like, make your own art. Like, please go ahead and make your own GDAT list. That's fine. That's all good for you. You have to get two other people. But for, uh, yeah, you need to get two other people. Yeah, exactly. And you need to come to You need to have a quorum. Consensus, right, exactly. But that said, uh, you know, at least what the parameters that we agreed upon was that the, the qualities of a GDAT were, you know, immense talent and, you know, inspirational kind of body of work, awareness of general culture of their existence, as well as a, a je ne sais quoi. A, 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 je ne sais quoi A little X factor there that, is, uh, that would define what, what makes them so special. Yeah. The best definition, I think, for the je ne sais quoi is, I don't know why Sarsgaard is interesting to watch, but he is. So, so interesting to watch. He's not necessarily good looking. He's not funny. He's not, but when he shows up, now I'm not saying he's a G dad, but I'm saying as a definition of that je ne sais quoi, that factor, why why am I compelled to watch this person do this? That's a good example, I think. So we have another email from Ryan S. As I get into my mid-30s, I find myself drawn more and more to movies that were made before I was born. What is your favorite decade or era for film, and what is a movie from that time that seems forgotten or overlooked? That's a tough one. What's your favorite era of movies? So if I'm not talking about times I was born... No. What is your favorite era of movies, no matter what the time frame? I mean, it's the 70s and the 90s. Those are my two favorite eras. Oh, fascinating. I would say the 80s. Yeah. Well, I mean, the 80s have, like, the things that I grew up with and I have, you know, affinity for because I'm familiar with them, with nostalgia. It doesn't mean they're not good or bad. But when I started learning about film or going back and trying to find stuff, I find that the stuff from the 70s was just surprisingly good and thoughtful it's also stuff that wouldn't get made now you know it's that easy rider raging bulls aftermath period right i just find it really interesting i think the 90s was in a lot of ways a resurgence of that yeah well it was the explosion of the indie world and there was always indie films but really sort of they blew up in public consciousness Yeah. yeah the auteurism and them having some budgets and attention on them to be able to do it right if i had to give you an example from the 70s and there are many of them it's 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 sort of a but i'm just gonna say the original taking of pelham one two three. Oh, great film it's right. just it's just a perfect it's so dirty wonderful movie right. it, yeah no exactly there's so many new york city movies from the 70s They're are great. just it's like a time machine right it's like being taken somewhere else and it's real it's what it was i mean you could watch serpico and just be like what the hell was the world like and it's right. fascinating <laughs> we watched What's the Richard Pryor, Gene Wilder movie? Silver Bullet? No, the other No, the Street, one. The Stir Crazy. Movie? Stir Crazy was 1980, but obviously shot 79, 80. It opens with this montage of New York and how awful it is to live there. And I was like, I was three years old. I can't remember which one. I think we watched, we watched a couple of them. I think it was the two I mentioned, not yours. And they were so fucking good. Yeah. Together, those two men were just, because this yeah, they were is great way together. better than it has to be. And also just to think like, the prior, I mean, who's a genius? Nobody, but like he was complete, like he was completely fucked up at that point. Yeah, I mean, like a full-on raging drug addict and does amazing work. 
Yeah, especially in Sir Crazy, he was high the whole time. And, yeah. But, and also, he, I mean, yeah, now we're talking about Gene Wilder and Roger Prayer, but totally different kinds of people. Yeah. I mean, Gene Wilder's this, like, you know, elegant singing guy from Milwaukee, and Richard Pryor was not that. But they mm-hmm. had this great chemistry. They clearly loved each other. Right. I'm fascinated by Gene Wilder because I can't think of any, like, he's, he's, he's not alive. There's no analog for him. Right. He did the GDAT, but there's nobody yeah. like that. Yeah. And he was the biggest star. And I don't think we were remember. I didn't know that until I sort of found, like, he was the biggest star in the world yeah. for a little while. Or, yeah. yeah. And, and you're like, what the hell? Did, that wouldn't happen today. No. And it lasted far beyond the term. You know, the 70s was, you know, the joke about the 70s is all the leading men were doughy and, you know, mm-hmm. sort of like over the hill. But Gene Wilder, his term as a leading man lasted into the 90s, mm-hmm. you know, with Richard yeah. Pryor. See no evil, hear no evil. Was I think it was the nineties? Might have been late eighties. No, it was late eighties, late eighties, late eighties. But it lasted for a long time. Nineteen eighty nine. See no evil, hear no evil. Very close to the nineties. Yeah, yeah. I saw that in theaters. Ron, what's your favorite period of film? It's got to be. I mean, the thing is, I have a massive ton of respect for the seventies. You know, and agree with you, Josh, that like a lot of the stuff was you know, you know, Dog Day Afternoon and Godfather and obviously Star Wars and stuff like that. But like, I feel like the eighties is what formed me as a movie watcher. You know, just you know, from all the you know the classic eighties movies and everything that we grew up watching and loving, both on VHS as kids, watch you know Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller and all that sort of stuff. But like the eighties. 80s is like some of my most cherished going to the movies memories, like going to see Indiana Jones Last Crusade, going to see Total Recall. I watched Total Recall a week and a half ago, and it was the best. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> and I haven't seen it in 20 years, and I knew every line. Yeah, so, so good. Every tag, I was like, oh, yeah. Totally Fun good. fact, that was the first R-rated movie I snuck into. So... <laughs> Yeah, just like from action to comedy to every, to all this sort of stuff. And even going back and watching movies that were out at the time that I didn't watch, going back and revisit, like my wife made us watch Working Girl, and, and I was mm. like, which I didn't watch at the time. That By was the way, Total great, Recall was 1990. Great movie. Was it 90? Oh, but still. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's still part of the decade, though, right? Isn't that the whole thing? It's like the end of the uh, decade. No. Uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't I, um, third but, number is the important one. <laughs> I don't care about having that conversation. So whatever it is you need I want to do. have it for an hour. <laughs> I know you do. We're going to move along. You know, and like the thing is, is like I love the 90s, you know, Pulp Fiction, Clerks, all that sort of stuff. Like it's great, but like the 80s was the base for me. So that's that's kind of what I go with. Do you have a film from that era that people overlook or doesn't don't talk about that you the feel big like chill. Clue. <laughs> Clue. Huh. Oh, so do you remember good. the madness about Clue where you'd go to the multiplex and it'd be like, Clue, ending A, Clue, ending B, know, Clue, yeah. ending C, and you, you'd choose which one you wanted to see? The best is you get the little piece of paper. and Oh, so good. Clue is so, Clue is so good and has got so much rewatchability. You know, like, oh, it's, it, it's so funny. It has a great cast. Yeah, it's a great cast. It has Lee Ving. Yeah, it's got Lee Ving, which is just bizarre. <laughs> 1985, <laughs> Tim Curry, Madeline Kahn, Leslie Ann Warren, yeah. Christopher Lloyd, Martin Mull, Michael McKean. I mean, it's a great cast. Jane Weedlin. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, so good. And Lee Ving. Lee Ving. I don't Lee Ving. Don't Lee forget Ving. Lee Ving. Lee Ving knew. Do you know who Lee Ving is, Connor? I mean, I know who he is as an actor, yeah. But he was the singer of Fear. Right, but he would show up in, in 80s movies a lot. Right, right, right. But the point is, like, he first he was a, a member of a very well-known seminal punk group with a scene in The Decline of Western Civilization, which is like the ur-punk movie of the time. Penelope Spheris. Yep. Yeah, and he, and like, the scene is just horrendous to watch. Right. 
and and like that's why he was known to most people and then he did this other thing and they seem to have nothing to do with one another well, and it's, it's fascinating. fascinating and like well like fear by the way one of the most legendary Saturday Night Live performances yes. when they they played in like 80 or 81 where like Belushi because, was into all because that. it was like Belushi and O'Donohue were fans and said hey we should book these and it was the Halloween episode and they brought their friends to be like in the crowd as they played and it's all like members of minor threat and the Cro-Mags and negative approach. It was just a shit show. It was a shit show. It's like, and then he's in clue. Like, I don't understand. Like it's, it's and a flash dance. Like he, he was in 31 movies. That's crazy. It's so yeah. weird. Mm-hmm. That's why I know him as a, I know him as one of those faces in movies. He's got a very distinct face. Yeah. Yes, he does. Yeah. You should look for the fear segment in the decline of Western civilizations. It's uncomfortable <laughs> and fascinating. It is, he Ooh. he was in 1987. He was on an episode of Who's the Boss called Walk on the Mild Side, where he played a motorcyclist bad boy who Angela dates <laughs> while fulfilling Angela. a list of list of well, she dates while fulfilling Mona. a list of of wild things she wanted to do while in high school. It's <laughs> crazy. Samantha, Samantha. Jonathan, <laughs> Angela, Mona, Jonathan. Let's just do that for the next 15 minutes. I'm fine with that. I have a hard time disagreeing with any of you, and I love all the eras of film. Yeah. You know? Are you going to say the 40s? I'm going to say the 40s or the 30s, and I'm vastly between the two of those, but, you know, I can't discount the 80s. I can't discount the 90s. I can't discount the 70s. All the eras of film are great in my eyes, except perhaps the one we're currently in, as film is dying slowly as we watch it die, like an old man with cancer. But all these eras (laughs) are seminal for a reason. You got to pick five movies for the all-media show. Uh oh. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there are still movies coming out being made, but it's just not the same right now. I don't give a shit yeah. about any of them, though. If I had to choose, I might go with the 30s. Wow. Why the 30s favorites. versus the 40s? Because the 30s, you get the very tail end before the Hayes Code comes in. So you get some racy stuff in the, in the movie, uh-huh. early days. Ooh, some racy stuff. You know, she done him wrong, Mae West's uh, film, and you know, where she's very body and very much a woman who is okay with her sexuality and flirting with every man and inviting every man she meets up to her bed, and which would never happen once the Hayes Code comes in. So you have that period of time, and then you get like the by the late thirties, your your golden age of Hollywood movie stars are in full bloom, and Cary Grant and Humphrey Bogart and that kind of thing. So you know. A movie that I didn't discover until in the last 10 years, which I think is terrific, doesn't really get talked about as much in, in those discussions, is Leo McCary's The Awful Truth with Irene Dunn and Cary Grant Ralph Bellamy. I think that movie is terrific. I think it's hilarious. I think the performances are amazing. Yeah, I spent a lot of time watching those films, and I, I'm always drawn more to The 50s is kind of terrible, which is why the 60s you know, is birthed from that era. The 50s is the end of the studio era. And there's some good stuff for sure in the 50s, but overall it's not a great era of film. 30s, 40s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Now, in my mind, I tend to think that the movies of the 30s and 40s are farther removed from the kinds of movies in the 70s because they were trying to reach some sort of realism, whereas I tend to think of the golden age of Hollywood trying to be that. Uh, it's it's not that. It's a different thing that I don't seem to like as much, but I don't know that I have enough actual experience. Or no, that's, that's certainly that true. Call. I mean, you have, you, it's more, I mean, you can almost describe the 30s and 40s as Hollywood. lifestyles of the rich and famous. Right, ascending social ranks and things yeah, like I mean that. the 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 depression. Almost all the movies are about rich people and all their their foibles. That's really yeah. interesting. And then the fifties becomes like the height before the crash, where it's all like these gaudy musicals and romantic comedies before the system collapses. And out of that crash comes the sixties and seventies, which is super hyper realism, 
all the kids of the golden age are making movies now, and it's it's a rejection of their parents. Mm-hmm. I find all eras of film fascinating. Yeah, I like agreed. Them agreed. They say a lot about our society and our culture. So say that we are not talking about. We're going to get rid of the movies that we would say are our favorite. So I said, what's your favorite movies? So like one of us would say Jaws or Goodfellas or Star Wars or whatever. Right. Yeah. Staying out of those genre things, which is, a, you know what I mean, though? Whatever mm-hmm. that, right. what's a movie that's like, if you had to quick say, this is my favorite film. My favorite film is Casablanca. Okay. For you're, sure. You're good at that. Yeah, for, for sure. Connor? I mean, Just, Ron? Yeah, I know. I know. Casa, <laughs> Casablanca. No. <laughs> I mean, favorite film... I mean, it's probably It's a Wonderful Life. That's in my top ten. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say that that makes sense for you. Yeah. I find it really hard to choose, but the thing that comes to me immediately, and I can't think of a reason not to, is Butch Casting the Sundance Kid. No, that's a great, great film. It's a great film. It's a great movie. No, I know that. I'm just like, I, perfect. I, what, I, what I mean is I, I can't think if there's something else that's better, but I know that every time I watch it, I think, my God, this is perfect. Yeah. yeah. It's fun. It's entertaining. It's exciting. It's timeless. It's the buddy movie between two people who are just so watchable. Catherine Ross is amazing. It's funny. So I've been going to the, the movies a lot more now that you know we were vaccinated in LA is a little bit better. There's one theater, the Landmark, that's been showing. You know they have their pre-movie spiel, and they have. So I've seen this several times because that's where I tend to go to the movies. And there's an interview from the archives of the AFI with William Goldman about Butch Cassidy that they show. He said he he was a novelist who was delving into screenwriting and he, he read about Butch Cassidy and he was thought it was so fascinating he wanted to write a movie about or a story about it but he didn't want to do any of the fucking research to do a novel Jeez. <laughs> he didn't want to have to know about the minutia of what they had to eat when they were mm-hmm. camping or what the shoes were like so he just said I'll just write this one as a screenplay because then the director can figure all that shit out <laughs> George Roy Hill it's a great movie it's a perfect movie. Yeah. It's such a, to me, it, it straddles. I like movies that straddle those lines. Like, it's something where you watch something from 50 years ago, and you can see elements of classic cinema, golden age, and you can see elements of modern cinema, and you can see how it touches all those things. I think those are the things that I tend to like. Yeah. I like things that have a sense of timelessness, or just that seem to reach out beyond the borders of where it should be, I think. Well, in that same sense, I did want to mention one more film, and this is in the 50s, even though I said it was overall not a great era of uh, movie making. There's a film called uh, The Harder They Fall, which was 1956, and it's Humphrey Bogart's last movie before he died of cancer, and he was relatively young. I mean, he was in his 50s. It's like one of the only films starring Humphrey Bogart where it started to be shot like a modern movie. Oh, interesting. You know classic Hollywood films the equipment was heavy and gigantic so they didn't really move the camera very much it was sort of locked down it was almost shot more like plays because they all came out of the theater anyway but this is like one of the only films I've seen Bogart in where it's like shot like a modern movie the camera moves it's all on location and you get a glimpse of what it would be like for these stars who in our minds are in these locked down black and white worlds in a more modern sense. It's sort of heartbreaking in that sense because he could have lived another 20 years and kept making movies into the 70s. What would Humphrey Bogart have been like in the 70s? Mm-hmm. Walter Matthau. Right, exactly. <laughs> so he could have been the star of They Can Pull 1, 2, 3. And so, mm-hmm. as you just talked about that era, that 50s, even though it's kind of shitty, there's almost a crossover happening. It's not every film because mm-hmm. there's a lot of films in the 50s that are still shot like the Golden Age, but you start to see it changing over before you get to Bonnie and Clyde and things like that. I actually was thinking there's a couple examples from that era and it's it's not like it's a brilliant thing to mention stanley kubrick but if you watch the killing Mm -hmm. which was i want to say 57 
maybe earlier, and then the one after that was Paths of Glory. But I'm going to st- stick with the killing. You watch the killing, and you're like, oh, it it's shot sequentially, not sequentially, like mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction. It's all over the place, and it's a caper, and it all comes together. And it, it really, I was like, wow, I didn't know that they knew. I mean, it's Kubrick, so right, it's not super right. surprising, but it gives you the exact same feeling that watching like Pulp Fiction does. It doesn't necessarily have that same kind of dialogue, but it's right. from a construction standpoint, it's a thousand percent modern. If you've ne- if, like, if you've never seen that movie, it is perfect. Yeah. yeah. This is a great question. This went much, much longer than I thought we would. And this is true yeah. question to end on. Good, great question. Where were you when we were trying to think of topics? It takes us into our next month's show, which is the all media year and roundup, which will take the place of this show, which we will go through our favorites of the year in film and TV and books and podcasts and music and all kinds of things we haven't really talked about yet, but we'll get to there. Our favorite time of year. So thanks to the patrons over at patreon.com slash ifanboy. They're the ones who unlocked this show that allows everyone to listen to. We thank them for that, as well as the Booksplodes and the Talksplodes and all the other shows we do, as well as our weekly Pick of the Week show where Josh and I talk about the week's comics. Ron continues to talk about Android phones. Yep. Still stuff to talk about, Ron? You haven't run out of topics yet? Never run out. What's the big topic now? Android 12 rolled out, as well as the Google Pixel uh, 6 and Google Pixel 6 Pro. It's, it's, it's a fantastic phone. So that's what Ron's talking about, all about Android. Yep. And as I said, we'll be back next month with our All Media Year and Roundup. We'll be back in January for our Media Splode. And thanks for listening. I am Connor. I'm Ron. And that would make me Josh. What's up? <laughs> I'm gonna sing for equal pay For the right to say the things I say I'm gonna sing for solid ground For what I lost, for what I found I'm gonna run towards something real Hide the truth of how I feel I'm gonna run for president Vote for me, I'm heaven sent I'm gonna live for